0: All right, uh, a little preface to this podcast. Uh, I said a lot of shit. I used a lot of acronyms and I used a lot of words, uh, which were pointed out to me after the fact. So just to give some clarity before you listen to just uh, the audio-only listeners, um, I'll just go over a few things so that way you kind of know what I'm talking about while I'm talking about it. When I say EW, I mean electronic warfare. That's like radio jamming and things like that. Uh, When I say grad... We're talking about uh, a rocket launcher, basically. Peons is like a giant artillery. Op tempo is operation tempo. That's basically how often we're conducting missions. Uh, Escalation dominance is a little bit of a longer explanation, but in short, uh, that's firepower that's level above yours. So if I'm shooting you with a rifle and you start shooting a tank at me, that would be escalation dominance. Uh, a T-72 is a model of a tank. Uh, Stinger missile—it's a surface-to-air missile. Usually, it's like anti-aircraft. That's what you shoot at, uh, helicopters, stuff like that. Uh, ATAC—that's a cell phone app for like enemy targeting, mapping, data sharing, things like that. HIMARS is a, like a rocket artillery system. Uh, it's probably the, one of the hottest topics in the whole Ukraine-Russian war. Uh, M777 is a 150-millimeter artillery, so it shoots out of what looks like a cannon, very accurate. Um, And cordon is uh, securing a specific area. Uh, I've got a couple more, like a JDAM, um, that's an air-to-surface guided bomb. Uh, Spetsnaz, it's like Russian special forces. IR, infrared. These are the things that you're gonna hear me talk about. If you need to go back and use this as a reference, or if you watch the video, everything will be spelled out on there for you. So it'll be a little bit easier, but at least audio only, you'll know what we're getting into. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. I've got a nice little informative piece uh, for the uninformed who uh, really enjoy speaking about things that uh, maybe they don't know about entirely. Um, But first kind of address uh, some of the help I've got going to Ukraine, I mean, getting there, coming back while I was there and kind of, uh, I don't know, the community around that. And uh, if anyone knows me personally knows, you know, I, I grew up in hardcore. I met, you know, my ex-wife and the mother of my kids, you know, over 20 years ago, going to shows and stuff like that. So uh, that whole community is pretty much my entire, all of my best friends, everyone I know uh, is based on that. And, uh, you know, getting over to Ukraine. Actually, my one of my great friends, Dan Seely from world famous King Nine, uh, linked me up with somebody in Poland. Flew over to Poland, uh, got there. I won't name his name because I don't know if he's okay with it or not. Stayed with them for four days and hung out with a bulldog and uh, did a little sightseeing in Poland before uh, somebody who was in the Ukrainian military in 2014, 15, picked me up in Poland. This was in April 22 uh and brought me over there you know when i was over there i met more dudes in hardcore who ended up helping us register our truck who showed us around kind of the ins and outs and this is just person to person uh pretty much like it is going to any city in the united states just meeting people you know and uh getting coffee going to eat and just it's the it's kind of that mutual bond as fucking corny as it sounds but that's kind of the reality of what it is it's just People willing to help people that come from the same subculture, uh, and that's that's a worldwide thing. Clearly, you know. So, you know. Thanks to our Polish friend, he knows who he is, and uh, thanks to our couple Ukrainian friends, they know who they are too. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about, I heard on uh, Sean Ryan, big big podcast guy or whatever. There's a specific guest on there. He starts talking about. Uh, basically something I was, I was very involved in and how there was no fighting done and people were just withdrawing and it just wasn't much of a fight for, for what is now the, called the Harkeve counteroffensive, which was in September, early September of 2022. So I figured it's kind of the year anniversary of that. And, you know, I kind of, I, I, I do want to address that too. Um, and with, with that, you know, I think a lot of went into it because from From this single man's perspective and maybe a lot of other people's perspective, you know, it was just like, oh yeah, like they just pulled out. It was a logistic thing. It was uh, just not not much going on, which is just not the fucking case whatsoever. It's just, like I said, a very uninformed opinion um, from a hotel staying person, basically, uh, which is just like the running joke of people staying at a hotel in Kiev doing their thing there, you know, and there's... People actually out on the front lines doing real shit all the time. It's just this war is so brutal. You're not going to see people staying out on the actual front fighting day to day for months at a time. They might be in trenches on the front, you know, doing trench work, but you're not doing house hits. You're not doing trench assaults every day. You're not doing village assaults every single day. That's just that op tempo is not real uh, in the, in this type of war. And it's not comparable. And that's from, I've been to Afghanistan. I spent a year there, you know, I was an infantryman there. Um, and that was, that was also a crazy op tempo. I, I mean, it's on my fucking paperwork, you know, nearly 300 combat missions in, in a year time. And I can guarantee before you would get to mission 100 in Ukraine, probably well before that, you know, you'd be severely injured or just dead, you know? Um, but this this counteroffensive, like I said, was uh, this was something that was worked on for it was over over a month before it even started being worked on. We were doing reconnaissance on foot. We were doing drone reconnaissance. Uh, you know, we were just poking at the bear uh, this entire time. And the thing is, when when you talk about uh, a lot of people talk about, oh, send in send in infantry, go do hits. Send in the special operations blah, 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 blah. Well, once again, you know, these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. We had two tier one people on our team, Navy SEALs, uh, MARSOC Marines, um, SFSG, you know, so we, we had high level people uh, in our little group, you know. Luckily within our group, we, we, we did whatever we wanted, to be honest, we kicked people off our team, added people to our team, and I'm great. I'm grateful for the handsome blonde man who he knows who he is, who brought us all together and enabled us to go do what we needed to do, you know. And it wasn't just um, it wasn't just him. There's a lot of people involved. But in in this counteroffensive, which ended up being the single most significant gain of ground in the Ukrainian war history. So that war's been going on for nine years now, and this this event was the single most successful one. And there's a reason for that. So, like I was saying, when you when you talk about uh, people just going away, uh, running away. You know, part of that is true. That, that did happen. But to say that there was just not really any fighting for it is just stupid. You know, that's very uninformed. Um, and it's, it should be the standard to just say, you know what, I don't know enough about this topic to speak on it instead of just, uh, coming out for whatever motives are and saying what you got to say. I nobody really knows, but you know, these, these people that speak these words, um, you know, but with this, there, there's one, there's a reason that it might seem like these people are running away. There wasn't a ton of fighting. It might seem like that because like I said, we spent over a month conducting reconnaissance, drone reconnaissance, poking at them. And what Russia has in that area and a lot of areas, uh, is escalation dominance. There's just no doubt about it. We'd go out there, we'd shoot a fucking RPG, you know, at a house. And in under three minutes, we have tank rounds coming in on us. We have mortar rounds coming in at us. We have um, automatic grenade launchers being lobbed at us. So this is all within under three minutes. We're getting hit with Grad missiles, uh, every single time we would do anything. So when you talk about like, I, you know, why, why don't you go do this? Why don't you go do that? Well, like I said, escalation dominance dictates that that's just not reality, not to mention crossing minefields to get to anywhere significant. Uh, that was one example. It's just, we had the same thing and this wasn't all the time. Their EW was so fucking good that we, we couldn't, we didn't bring radios. We couldn't use the radios. Um, and I think they had roving platforms of EW. So sometimes it'd be really good. We could fly, uh, we couldn't fly our drones. Sometimes the EW would be bad and non-existent where we could get our drones, you know, uh, we could get our drones a mile out and do the reconnaissance that we need to do. We could. Uh, use our radios, but it was just not worth the risk because the same thing happened when we fired an RPG, you know uh, We go out there and we keyed our radio one time to call up to to HQ and from that one key the same thing grenade launchers tank rounds mortars just getting dropped where we were at and I'm not a fucking tech nerd so I can't speak to as exactly what they were using or whatever that was but we were there, it happened, and that's just the reality of that situation. But what's good about all of that happening and us poking and doing those sort of things is we're, we're able to gather the intelligence we need. So we were able to write down the times. We would go, You know, we'd say, okay, we do X thing, we write down that time. The response coming back, we write down that time. Every night we would sit on top of this building and we would see, okay, we do X thing, this is what's coming back. This is the time that it's coming back you just keep making these notes. So if it's two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, what are they sending over? Is there T-72s? Is it artillery? Is it Grodd? You know, all all of these different things uh, that they have at their disposal. And we would gather that intelligence in this area and we would start putting this together. Uh, They'd fly helicopters over. they uh, They knew where they were at because they would fly right outside of our Stinger range. So we had Stinger set up. It was right outside of Stinger Range. And uh, so they knew exactly where they were flying when they would do those sort of things. But, you know, we we were able to gather that intelligence and get that information and and put this together uh, to make a larger package. Um, So when you do those sort of things, this is in hopes for future plans, which is what ended up happening in this counteroffensive. So we started sending... uh, Within the last month or so, we started sending drones out. We were there every single fucking day um, on the front lines. And this building that we were staying at uh, in Kharkiv, this is not an exaggeration. And anyone who's there will will verify. We got hit five to eight times every single day we were there with just an assortment of whatever they felt like firing at us. And because there would be times we ran out of mortars, so we we couldn't counter with anything. So we just sit there and fucking take it day after day after day after day, because like I said, with Escalation Dominance, they knew they had the Trump card. They know we would step foot in the forest and they could launch whatever they wanted at us because they had, it's, it almost seemed wasteful, the amount uh, of indirect fire and tank rounds and things like that that we were getting. Um, but with us, us gathering that information, plotting the targets, I still have these targets on my ATAC actually. And then I, 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 I won't name the country, but... I was able to link up with a with a Western intelligence, and they gave me live satellite imagery uh, f- for this counteroffensive. So, with the live satellite imagery, I got the pictures, and there was a lot of targets fucking listed on there. So, when we go out there, uh, we go back to the Ukrainians we give them this targeting information and then we start setting out high Mars targets. We start setting out targets for these M triple sevens that we have for the over a dozen peons that we have firing. If you don't know what fucking peon is go look it up, but they're loud from no matter where you're at. So we had all of those sort of things at our disposal. We had engineers, actual route clearance, which is the first time and only time actually, you know, I've, I've ever experienced that. Um, but to, s- sit here and say, like I said, nothing happened. Well, there is a reason they left. And it's because of the things I just named, because of the Western intelligence that was provided to me that I was able to give to, to the locals to plot high Mars targets, to plot M777 targets, to plot P plot on targets. Um, and so being able to provide that, that was just the, the base of what happened. And my portion of that was planning the entire Southern assault while this was while this was happening. So I got to brief my entire group. Uh, There's about 50 of us on the Southern assault that we were going to be doing, which was considered at that time, like the less dangerous route. And out of the 50, we took two KAA and we had four casualties uh, just on the infill, which our portion of this assault was a frontal assault on an entrenched position over a minefield. So do that math in your fucking head. Think about how many one how many Americans have ever done it? Probably not many. So when these people talk about like special operators or while well, we really need like American infantry, it's just that's the most American thing to say in a war you just have no experience with. You don't have experience being hunted by helicopters. You don't have experience being hunted down by fucking airplanes, by accurate drone guided artillery, by accurate drone guided mortars, by grad. You, you just don't have experience with that. So you, like a, a lot of people, your opinions don't matter because you don't have that experience. It doesn't matter what you did in the United States. When I was in Afghanistan, it was uh, honestly just felt like, well, I was also 21, 22 at the time when I was there. I was just like, I literally can't be killed. That's how I felt. You know, that was also, like I said, being young, but also we had things on station. You know, you could you can sit there and, you know, have your O5 just drop JDAMs whenever, whenever you wanted to. A single sniper in the mountains. You know you're dropping. You're sending planes on them, uh, and that's just how America does things. And we, we don't have that to go and say. We well, you know we need to hit these houses, do this and that. It's the same thing. You go and hit these houses. You have maybe a minute or two before the artillery and mortars drone guided just start pounding you and you're not able to leave your position you're not able to get your dead buddies out of there you're not able to get your wounded out of there because you are just pinned down until they decide you're not pinned down anymore once again escalation dominance is that was something that they had until we had planned this specific mission and the specific mission going back to kind of where I originally started with uh, the people in this this hard hardcore community and like a lot of people close to me and things that mean a lot to me, uh, I had met I had met a specific group. They're an anti-fascist group, and they were the first group I had contacted when I went over. Uh, and talking to them, they're just literally saying, "Hey, we want to fight. We need training, but we're not fighting right now." And I said, "Sorry, guys. Basically, um, I'm gonna go do the fighting. I can't just be in the west of Ukraine training right now. That's not what I want to do, and I'm not what I will be doing." fast forward seven months and I end up meeting these guys face to face. Um, and these are guys just like me, just like all of my fucking friends covered in tattoos, X's on their legs, my same age, you know, uh, they're, they're just the same type of guys. So their portion of, uh, this Harkiv counteroffensive was a three mile long cordon. So they were gonna hold this three-mile line, basically, it was a more more of a wedge position. Uh, so they're gonna hold this three miles, and I asked them, okay, how many guys do you have? They're like, oh, we have 60 guys. Okay, how many have seen combat? Two. So out of 60 guys, like I said, I, think about your best friends in hardcore, and music, or whatever in general. Think about if you have 60 people that will go out and fight in an actual war with you because your, your friends and family are being killed. And there's, in reality, Maybe not a lot of those, but these guys went and fucking did it. So I said, okay, two guys have seen combat before. That sucks. Uh, You know, what type of weaponry do you have? You know, have you guys been training? What's this and that? And they had, they had a British guy that was training, uh, helping them train up for this type of thing. Um, And then from there, you know, they have one machine gun, they have three RPGs and it's just straight out like that is, that's not enough for A cordon. That's not enough for for what you're trying to do because they were, they were deep, they were deep in the position where it needed to be. This area hadn't even been cleared of Russians, um, so th- this was technically like still Russian-held areas. Uh, they were going to go do so meet them go out there eventually meet them another two or three times i have my atac pulled up like i said because i had already been gathering the intelligence plotting the targets putting all the danger areas and the avenues of approach for russian tanks and things like that so uh, i gave it to them and in typical ukrainian fashion you know their their leader was like oh I, i have all this already like i you're not showing me anything new i was like well listen man you're cool but uh you don't have this because I personally put this on ATAC because I saw with my own eyes and I conducted the reconnaissance myself. Like this is on there because of me and nobody has this. And so we ended up like giving, exchanging intelligence um, because they had some stuff from the area too. But like I said, we had been working this area for over a month already before this counteroffensive even started. Uh, We ended up giving them machine guns. We ended up giving them more RPGs. Um, They gave us a few grenades that they had because they had a surplus of that. And just like sidebar with that, you know, it's, you know, me, me and my friends who are over there, we talk about this basically like Grand Theft Auto is what it seemed like because we would show up places and we wouldn't have weapons sometimes. You know, when I first got there, we went out on a QRF with, I had no weapon, our leader had a rocket and our medic had no weapon, you know. And uh, that was one of the first QRF missions that, that we were on. And it was just really, like, unhinged more than fucking anything. But then there'd be other times we show up. It's like out of a movie. A white van shows up, door slides open, and there's just machine guns, rockets, ammo, grenades, optics, anything you can name. And it's just, okay, yeah, take everything out of here. It's like, all right, cool. Like, where did this fucking come from? They're like, oh, we just grabbed it in Poland and drove it over. All right, nice. You know, so uh, there's stuff like that. That was happening pretty frequently. You know, you could trade stuff, different things. I'm going off on a fucking tangent about fucking weapons trading, but... Um, so yeah, so we ended up exchanging that information with them, uh, things like that. And we go out, we do the mission. And so when this uh, when this guy talks about, like I said, no danger, no fighting for this, it's it's the most untrue thing. Like uh, we, we had two K, four casualties and they lost their leader. Um, on this mission, on their cordon, they lost their leader. Uh, His name was Yuri, and uh, he was my age, hardcore dude, all of the same stuff, and I got, luckily I I was able to meet with him, um, give him all all of the information I had, you know, in exchange, and these are just people fighting for their country, you know, hardcore dudes like anyone I know, out there and walking the walk, you know, not just talking on the fucking internet about what they're gonna do or what they would do, this and that, they're out there actually, doing it, you know? So to hear that there's no fighting and to see friends die, you know, in, in those situations, uh, yeah, a little fucking infuriating inside. And, uh, like I wrote down a bunch of notes of just a bunch of stuff, you know, I, I didn't want to forget. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it looks like I covered most of it, but you know, on, on that mission, uh, we had, we had SSO, we had alpha team. Uh, SSO is their special operations, Alpha Team is kind of like their step above from there. Um, anything you could name, you know, asset-wise, we we had on station pretty much. And the fact that we had over a dozen peons there, which is probably the majority of what's there in the entire country, you know, for this mi- mission specifically. Um, so they had went out, they did their cordon, successful mission, clearly, because it cleared out eventually cleared out close to a thousand square kilometers. Like I said, the biggest one of the war. But, uh, the one thing I did, I did want to talk about was, you know, that one, yeah, that clearly had an effect on me because that was somebody that I gave information to, gave instruction to help set up where they needed to be type of thing. And he ends up dying. And then I, when I hear this guy talk about not much fighting, it, like I said, it still makes me mad, but his wife, uh, his wife wrote a letter, and I want to read the letter because uh, it's, it's actually really fucking hard for me to read. But uh, it's just very significant, and this shows just part of that community, but also um, puts a sense of reality on, on what war actually is. Instead of saying, I'm going to go do this, go do that, there are people who are doing this and doing that. And she wrote, um, <clears throat> she wrote, Lover, you're the best I had, and you will always be in my heart and memory. This is all translated. I'll do everything possible for me to get back on my feet to be able to raise our blood. I know how much you loved us and wanted us to be safe, how much you worried about us. You are the best dad and husband. You will always be the one. No matter how hard it is for me, I will smile and enjoy every moment in life so you can be calm. You are our hero and protector. I really want to say a lot and tell you while I'm holding your already cold hand, we will meet you with dignity and see you through. Thank you for everything you have done for us in Ukraine. <clears throat> be always around to be able to feel your presence in our daughter and the Celesti trees in the midst of the wind and our friends infinitely love, miss you very much. And thank you for everything you have done for us. So that's a letter from a fucking widow in this war that this man says, uh, was just not fought for, um, so yeah. I just I just wanted to to read that because, like I said, it puts a very personal touch on something that was very significant and close to me. Um, in that counteroffensive, you know, and and even even going from there, uh, we pushed all the way out to the Russian border to the Oskil River, um, you know. And you, you hear people talk about uh, you know the Russians suck, you know they're they're not shit. Blah, 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 blah. Well, have you ever thought about maybe they, there can be good ones and bad ones at the same time? How about that? You know, there can be good and bad, just like Ukrainians. There's good ones, there's bad ones. You know, some are more skilled than others. And uh, the prime example of, of another mission we had gone when we were still pushing through Kharkiv in the forest uh, of Kupiansk, we went over there. Um, this was our second trip. Uh, we originally went over the first time, and we were so far into Russian lines. We, we were in between a tank battle and the place we were staying, the window shattered from the, uh, from the blast from the tank, from the Russian tanks. So that's how close we were uh, in between this tank battle across the river when we were doing our reconnaissance out there. The second time we went across, we go out, long fucking story basically, but um, we get laser targeted by five Russian Spetsnaz while we're sitting in our foxholes, our overnight foxholes. It was probably 35 degrees at night. It was raining. We had four guys get fucking hypothermia. Uh, we ran out of food and water because the food and water uh, that was supposed to come got ambushed and these guys' legs got mangled. So we didn't end up having a resupply or anything. So we've got guys cramping, no food, no water. Uh, Laser targeted by Russian Spetsnaz. And in that laser targeting, we could see with our IR, you know, they were doing the classic loop. You know, they they were doing the infinity symbol, basically, or the figure eight for targeting. And uh, we called up and we asked, like, hey, are there we have friendly drones up in a typical Ukrainian situation? Uh, we don't know. Let me get back to you. You know, 30 minutes later, uh, they're like, uh, yeah, uh, we don't have any drones up. Those aren't ours. I'm like, no, oh, nice. This is going to be a good night. So after that is when we got laser targeted. And that, from that laser targeting, they dropped the most accurate grad on us possible. Uh, they sent anti-personnel grad that landed directly on us. So I looked over... I looked over to my left. Uh, we were set up on a whole perimeter. Uh, we were on an anti-armor mission right now, but like I said, we were dug into foxholes in this forest. Well, I look over to my left, I see Grad, basically what I think is just killing everybody on my team, because the missiles are just hitting directly, directly on our positions, basically, and you just see it one after another, after another, getting closer, closer, closer finally when it gets fucking close enough, they're dropping directly on our heads, we get down in our foxhole. I mean, if we would have lifted our arm up out of our foxhole, it probably our hand would have been littered in shrapnel and maybe gone because all the sand around us, all the trees around us, everything was just covered in shrapnel. And uh, the Ukrainian guys that were to our right, uh, unfortunately for them, they were too hardcore to be bothered with digging real foxholes. So they got maybe six inches and like, ah, this is good enough. Grods dropping on them and they're just fucking screaming the entire time, which at that moment in time was like kind of funny for us because it it wasn't injuring them, like nobody got hurt, but just hearing them scream and yell in the middle of the night, you know, fucking suka, 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 "Suka." like, uh, okay, well, that was, uh, that was that. And then, uh, oh yeah, more points, like I said, just going back to my, some of the notes that I took, um. You know, when you when you talk about Americans going over there and knowing what to do in certain situations with mortars and artillery, that's that's also not reality. To sit here and tell Ukrainians who have been there for nine years under mortars and artillery, when the majority of Americans fighting in wars have not actually experienced that, uh, completely different situation. Mortars and artillery, you could say, is X certain thing, whatever. Drone-guided mortars and artillery accurate dropping on you is a completely different world. So, our SOP, I mean, I asked a Marine, a Marine Corps instructor currently, you know, what, what their SOPs are for reacting to mortars and artillery. And it's the same as it was in the Army. Uh, you get down, you yell a distance and direction, you head that distance and direction. That's just still the stupidest thing to do. And that's just, you're going to end up getting killed that way too. And what you really need to do is find a fucking trench. Find somewhere to get your head down at or just get down wherever you're at because you can run wherever you want to. The drone is just going to follow you and continue dropping shit on you. And if you're running towards the enemy, that's even stupider, which is what the American SOP is right now. And then when you yell that distance direction, you go 400 meters and you stop. You get ACE reports. You do this and that. Okay, fucking great. Now the drone is just going to drop... They're going to send the GPS coordinates again and drop more shit on you while you're stopped for fucking three minutes and then everyone around you is going to die. That's the reality of American SOPs in this type of war. So, no. like uh, m- The majority of Americans don't know what to do in those situations. There's a wake-up call for me. The tier one guys on our team, the SEALs on our team, all of these people from all these different backgrounds can, I I, I will say, all agree, it's it's nothing, nothing that's been experienced before. So, that was just a... A uh, completely different, different tactic. You know that that needs to be used. Yeah, um, you know, another uh, talking about different tactics and things like that too. Um, you know, there's different areas where you can do different things. You know, down down in the south, when we were there, there is no doing anything. There is no going in woodlands. There is no walking around. It's just drones tanks artillery uh just i mean really heavy drone everything ir drones we couldn't do any reconnaissance we couldn't walk around anywhere um nothing nothing on foot at least and even the ew is so good you could barely send out drones anyway in harkey we got a lot better freedom of movement which allowed us to go go do some patrols go do some reconnaissance on foot go do drone reconnaissance a lot more successfully And then going back to kind of what I was talking about with the different skill levels of Russians, like, yeah, some are trash. We captured some guys in Kupiansk. And they... I mean, five days ago, they were at home eating fucking borscht with their family. You know, they had two days of training with their AKs. This is what they said when interrogated. Two days of training, they get sent to the front line. Three days later, they're captured by... They're captured by our guys, and they're, you know, they're bound in in a basement somewhere being interrogated. That was in five days. But when you go to places like Bakhmut, you know, where uh, <clears throat> you know most of the team is, well, just came back from recently, they're talking about the Russians there using their IR floodlights to wash out wash out your night vision. So you, it, it becomes ineffective when it's just IR floods pointing at you the entire time. And then more accurate mortars, and more accurate artillery, uh, and real warfighters fighting. So to, like I said, to really sit here and say, Why aren't they just pushed out of the country? Why aren't they this? Why aren't they that? Well, it's not exactly that easy. And to get to most of these fortified positions uh, is a fucking nightmare. You know, another prime example, you can revert back to our last episode where Bish, he's he's a fucking 25 years, he's an SAS operator, and what they did was hostage rescue. That whole hostage rescue mission, you know, that they did, there's an 80% casualty rate. You know, on our team alone was over 100% casualty rate right? because people are getting wounded multiple times on this mission. So you're talking about somebody who is one of the best in the world. We ha- and there was there was high mars on um, there was high mars pre-targeted, so we already had those set up, and they're still unable to breach the fortified positions that the, these Russians had. So they're not they're not punks everywhere you go. Some places they will be, some places they won't be. You know but to, to universally say these ukrainians are better ukrainians are worse russians better russians worse it can be both they can be better some places worse some places and the inverse um yeah so that was just a, a few things i wanted to address but specifically uh, like i said I, I wanted to get get the attention of everyone out there who who is like me who came comes from the background that i come from and bring recognition to people like Yuri and uh, all of those guys and I won't name their group because I don't want I don't know if they want to be named but they'll know exactly who I'm talking about because they're still fighting out there now. They go from training to no fighting experience to working a mission with me having a massive success in the Kharkiv counteroffensive. Like I said there's a reason that was that was successful. I mean we we had when we had our final meeting, there's probably over thirty different commanders at the sand table, and every single person is saying, This is what this is my job, this is what I'm supposed to do. And if this doesn't work, this is what I'm supposed to do. And to be fair, this is the only time I'd ever experienced that in any Ukrainian planning because a lot of the times, really the majority of the time, we'd get two hour notice, eleven at night, hey, you need to be here at one o'clock, we're gonna go do a village assault. And We go on there, soft-skinned vehicles, and (laughs) just, I don't know. It's like the Wild West of bullshit, basically. You go out there, nobody tells you what's going on. You're in these trucks, and you see white phosphorus coming down. And, you know, just a a small thought of like, oh, you know, white phosphorus isn't supposed to be used in wars. Well, it fucking is. Anti-personnel mines just laid out everywhere that are just not exploded, which, same thing, these clusters are not supposed to be there. Well, guess what? They are. Uh, and, and that's the reality. Uh, they'd say, yeah, there's there's 200 guys coming uh, and we show up and there's 50. There's, oh yeah, we got 20 tanks. Oh, there's four. And this is, how, this is how a lot of my friends have died in situations like these, how a lot of Ukrainians have died in situations like these. So it's a very proud moment in the counteroffensive to be able to say that that was successful. Everyone did what they were supposed to do and there's a reason for that success. And, you know, like I said, thankfully for some Western intelligence with targeting and able to pass on those triple seven and high mars targets we we made it a a big deal so from from balaklay ukraine all the way to Kupyansk on the oskil river and across the river we were able to push through that entire area uh, and just stomp through the entire way Um, going back to like grand theft auto and like wild west stuff there'd be places there'd be villages we would clear through on the way out there same thing there's women children men crying they're grateful that you're there because they're proud ukrainian but get there and they tell us like oh if you go to this building you know it's just floor to ceiling with weapons and ammunition and this and that so of course you go and there's thermobaric rpgs from floor to ceiling 5,000 square feet worth just floor to ceiling rpgs and you know we didn't have the vehicles or anything at the time but i mean really there's nothing stopping anyone from just taking as much as you want and then just going about your day go take it back to your room if you want to um, so it's really kind of crazy stuff like that. That was pretty common occurrence, but as somebody who was in it day to day with some of my closest friends, um, it's a little bit different than sitting in a Kiev hotel, getting secondhand information when you're personally out there experiencing it, working side by side with these people in the mission planning stages, um, in the mission planning stages with brigade level commanders doing those sort of things. And this isn't the, like fucking toot my own horn, but this is the reality of what actually happened um so there is a reason when you see videos of russians leaving trenches leaving cities and things like that it's because of the planning and execution that occurred for that um let's see if i got anything else really written down uh yeah that's kind of uh, everything i wanted to everything i wanted to go over uh i'm sure i'll get a bunch of crazy feedback from this probably from uh hopefully some good stuff you know, from a lot of people that I'm close with. And, uh, yeah, that's that for this story.